Cork are in serious trouble. In the Munster Championship, they're going to get beaten. They're going to get beaten early. And when the Cork crowd turn against them, they turn so harsh. The Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. Now, great to welcome back to the show a man who retired in August, I think it was announced of last year. 33 years of age, has three All-Irelands in the back pocket and had an outstanding career with Tipperary and decided to call time. Brendan Maher, great to have you back on the show. Good to talk to you again. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you fairly kept the head down when you announced your retirement in August. We were just chatting before coming on, on air there a moment ago. Didn't really fancy the, the lap of honour, almost <laughs> seems to be the, the, the sense. Uh, statement, leave it at that, off I go. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I, you know, there wasn't a, a queue of people coming to talk to me either, Joe. So. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was probably just something that I felt didn't feel the need to do, if that makes sense. So it wasn't as if I, you know, it was nothing against going, doing some media stuff. It was just, for me, retiring was a statement to say, look, that's it. I'm hanging up the boots. Um, I'm happy that I've given my all for the last 13 years. And I've I've kind of, you know, for me, the, the whole purpose of what I was doing as a Tipperary player was important and that it was very much like I'm handing over the jersey kind of hopefully in a better place. And that for me was the statement. And I didn't feel, really feel that I wanted to talk about it that much. It was more I wanted people to just reflect and remember me for what I did in the pitch. Um, and so I did I I didn't just have that urge to like talk about all the memories because the, to be honest, it happened quite quickly after championship. So I wasn't in that reflective mode. I I my met up at the start of the season that it was going to be the final season, regardless. So the decision was almost made before I needed to make it, if you get me. And so I wasn't I didn't actually reflect until the months after, you know over the winter months when everything had died down, all sport was kind of dying off in GA circumstances. And that's when you start to reflect and start to think about the different things that happened throughout your career. But at that stage in August, no, just didn't feel the need to do it. And on your reflections over the winter, what's been the general tone? Uh, overall, very positive, I have to say. Like, I was always my own worst, best critic, whatever way you want to phrase it. Um, was all very hard on myself, hard in the way the standards I would hold myself accountable for. And, you know, you'd always remember those negatives and the, re- the, the regrets that you might have or what you would interpret as regrets. But now as I look back on it, I can comfortably say I don't have regrets, if that makes sense. So, you know, no matter how good you are at something and how, how good your approach is, you're not going to avoid mistakes. You're not going to avoid failure at some point. So I was very hard on myself when, we, when I failed or when I, I, you know, came up short. But I've kind of I'm quite content now when I look back and and I think about the career overall. Gave, always give my I always give hundred percent, and that's for me the most important thing. And you know I've very positive memories going back as far as even two thousand and nine, my first year in a panel, getting to an All Ireland final, getting to play in an All Ireland. My first year in a panel was a special experience. Following on the year after, winning senior and under twenty one within six days of each other. You know, just stuff like that. It's only when you start thinking back on it, you realize how special it was. When you're caught in it, you're enjoying it, but you don't realize the the scale of it. Um, and it's, yeah, it is nice to be able to look back and think of all those positive things rather than when I was playing, I was always thinking back on, right, what's going on? What's lighting the fire here? What's, what's driving me on? 
You know, that's good because, I mean, the great cliche is that people think about the defeats more than the wins. So it's nice that you think of 10 and 16 and 19 as opposed to all the defeats. You know, be, what would be the point if you spent the next 30 years doing that? No, exactly. I mean, it'd be a waste of energy, wouldn't it? Like, it's not, I, I get the, I'm not going to be able to rectify it or do anything about it now. So mm. I was going to, yeah. when I saw your age, by the way, I was going to say, so why did you retire at 33? You've got another five years in you at least. And then you realize you've been on the road 13 years and then probably another bunch of years as a minor as well. So did you feel I'm running out of gas here? Um, physically, maybe uh, like I, I obviously did my ACL in 2018. I had a good comeback with that, like had a fairly straightforward recovery, but in terms of the actual knee, it's far from right. So that was always niggling away with me. I, Got another scope done in December 2020. Didn't say anything about it. Kept it under wraps. Like I didn't want to be saying my knee was giving me bother, but um, that's always there and that is in the back of my mind. Like and that was part of the decision that you know I'm not really sure how much my knee can take of that level. Um, the other side of it, then I suppose it's just the the energy levels required. Like and recovery wise, when you get when you get older, it was becoming more challenging. In saying that, I would be confident that I would be able to go again, but it was more of a mental state than physical. It was just a commitment of it. Uh, probably just got to the stage where I felt as if other aspects of my life needed to take priority. Um, so that was kind of what really fueled the decision. Okay. Any second thoughts? Regrets? Not one, Joe. No, yeah. thankfully. Um, That's good. Really content. And I, I thought about it quite a lot. So, um, you know, no, very content with the decision. Um Obviously, you'd love for it to last forever, but that's not the reality. Um, it has to end sometime. And but I, I'm I'm happy with the time I gave. Thirteen years was a, a huge amount of time to be able to give to it. Mm. And even in what's happened in the last couple of months with Porik's news and and the way he has had to finish up puts things in perspective for me. That I'm I'm grateful that you know I'm still able to play. I have a match against the Tipperary under twenties now in an hour and a half that I play and. You know, so I'm, I'm still in the, the thick of it with hockey, so um, I'm lucky that I can still play. Yeah, his deal was rotten. The rug was pulled yeah. out from under him. We had him on the show a couple of weeks back. It was terrible. Yeah, yeah, awful. I, I spoke to him on the Friday after he was he got the news, and I'll never forget it. I didn't know what to say. You know, you're like, what do you say when somebody lands a bombshell like that? And you, I rang him for a chat to congratulate him. He got engaged. Um, and then he said, are you on your own? I've something to tell you. And, couldn't believe it. And you just, like, your heart goes out for him. It's just, you know, when you know the man himself, how committed he is, how much he loves the game. Like, I could see Porik, you know, he would have played until he literally could not. Yeah. He'd be playing club at 45, wouldn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, he's just that type of character. He's so motivated physically, an absolute specimen. Um, you know, and it's, look, it's, it's a shame that we're not going to get to see him play. Um, and you'd feel so sorry for him, but... Look, the other side of it is that he's he's doing well. He's channeling his his energy into running and golf, and he's he's doing his best to fill the void. But and and look, we're all there to support him as much as we can as well. And mm. but yeah, look, it's it's a pity the way the way it finished. You go with three All Irelands, three senior All Irelands, and you were captain in sixteen. Did you write the speech the week before, or did you say I don't want to jinx it, or what was your approach to that? In I, I messed up my speech. Um, yeah. I was very diligent in my preparation, right? Uh, I I actually did it the morning after, not the morning, kind of the day after the All Ireland semi final uh, against Galway. I decided because I had I had previous experience in fourteen of going through it, so 
I was captain in 14 when we played Kilkenny. Do you remember the one went to replay? Um, and Owen Kelly at that on at that stage said to me after the All Ireland semi final against Cork, he said, "Get your speech sorted this week and give it to Hot Point or give it to somebody that they'll have it on the day." And he said, "You won't have to think about it then." Yeah, one last thing, one last thing. Exactly. So yeah. I did the same thing in 2016. But when I when I got the piece of paper on the day to to read it out, the first bullet I just had a bullet pointed like of people I wanted to mention and uh, areas I wanted to cover. So the first bullet point was management, Mick Ryan and management. And I had that was first. And that was the mistake I made. I put them first and I want, I, they should have been last. So in my head, I said, right, I'll leave the lads now. I'll go through the rest of it and I'll finish off with the, with Mick and his management team. Got through everything else absolutely perfectly. I was delighted. Yeah, I covered everything. But then the emotion of, you know, getting to the last kind of point, I forgot to go back and and thank Mick Ryan and his management team. So I literally like had kind of whatever way finished off, like and they lifted the cup and walked on down. And next I was like halfway down the steps and I went, oh shit. Oh. After three, and I was like, do I go back up? Do oh. I, I do? So I just went down straight down to Mick and uh, Connor Seaclam, John Madden, Declan Fannin. And I just went as lads, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I tried to explain myself. And sure, listen, the characters that they are, they did not care. Maybe yeah. would slag you over still, you know. He's, uh, <laughs> it was fair from what he wanted, like, but yeah, I, I had a bit of a mess up, right? Oh, that's interesting. Did anyone else notice that? Was that a note was that a commented upon thing? There's a rift between matter and management. Somebody picked it up the following day. I remember reading an article. I can't remember who it was, um, but they they said something like one glaring omission from Brendan Maher's uh, All Ireland Win speech. And I was like, yeah. so, Must be a fun speech to give all the same. That is, it's, um, you're, you're quite nervous doing it, I have to say, um, because you, it's not something you can, you can really prepare for because your emotions are so high. The adrenaline is still going from the game. That's why I'd always like, I can relate to why guys shout down the microphone when they're doing the speech. It's just, it's absolute adrenaline and emotion and you're just not in control. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you have, you know, you have some, I suppose, exceptions like Stephen Cluxon and others that are just so calm and in control all the time. That yeah. Stop shouting, Stephen, calm down. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, I, I think I was somewhere in between. I, yeah. I shout and roar and then I was like, no, compose yourself here, like, you need to go through this but uh, yeah it is it is quite an experience it's not something like straight up it's not something I'd like to do again like I'd love to have a captain a, a team and do that but the speech part of it nah, not enjoyable okay interesting so three All-Irelands in a decade that's a stellar career and yet the easy and cheap thing to say about that temporary generation is God there was at least another one in them and you had the misfortune of coming up against the tail end of this great Kilkenny side and plenty of other great sides as well. So how do you reflect on that criticism or that or that grumble that might be there about three in a decade, which again is no bad thing, three in any decade? No, I'd be, I'd be more leaning towards it was a successful decade when you compare it to the history of, of Tipperary. Um, we hadn't done it since, you know, the, the 60s, I think it was, you know, so... Um, but in saying that, you do think about the near miss of 2009 being so close. 2011, not so much. I think we didn't perform on the day um, and we were comfortably beaten. I'd say there was a four-point margin, but really it was it was a, a four-point beating. Um, and 2014, then the third one that we lost, like that was just, it took on a life of its own, didn't it? Like the, the drawn game was probably one of the greatest ever games. 
the replay, um, we just like the, the regret you'd have on that is that we should have known that Kilkenny were going to adjust their tactics and adjust their defensive setup because of what happened in game one. And we didn't have the, the counter for that. So we just went out like with the same approach again. So that was the, you know, the one regret you would have. Um, but no, I think like, you know, if you said to me starting out, Joe, that you're going to play in seven all Ireland finals, you'll win three, draw one and lose three. I would have taken the arm off it, to be honest. Coming in a stage like 2000, the end of 2008 when I joined the panel, like I had only seen Tip play in two all Irelands, 97 and 2001, which they won. And then like the years between 2001 and 2008, there wasn't a whole pile going on. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it was, you know, like we weren't, I wasn't going in to start off my senior career thinking, yeah, you're going to be playing in Ireland finals year. I didn't know what way it was going to go. Um, so when you look at it from that point of view, I'd be quite happy. Five monster, I have five monster final medals. Do you know, like it, it's, I'm happy with what I won. And you can be greedy and say, oh, we should have won more, we should have won more. Well, we didn't. And all are good enough to win more. So you just... And everyone can say we could have won more. I mean, to be fair, I I did feel just 10 and 16 was an underachievement. I felt the 19 one was an important one. Three just had a much better sheen to it. I said that to one or two of your colleagues down the years. Three felt like a more acceptable return for the generation that you had, which was a bit special. If I didn't get, if we didn't, you know, that group, I'd agree with you. If I hadn't got the third one, I'd still be there, I'd say. Um, <laughs> it's chasing it, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, I do. There is, I don't know why it's different, but it is different. It is, yeah, it is. Um, it just, yeah, it, the 19, and, and even for me personally, coming back from injury and all of that, it just had a kind of a special feel to it. Mm. Um, so for a number of reasons, I felt quite content after 2019. It was like, right, I mean, bonus surgery, I'd love to win another one, wouldn't be great. And then like you had COVID and lockdown and everything was just like, oh God, what's going on here? And um, So I wouldn't say it was a struggle. I still enjoyed it and enjoyed the environment, but, you know, the decision to retire then, it just didn't, it felt right, you know. Did you come to hate Kilkenny and decide of Kilkenny jersey or what was the nature of the rivalry? Oh, I loved it. Um, I just, it was my favourite game of the year. You know, the league, you'd look for the league fixture um, first thing when they came out, like, oh, can't wait to go down to Nolan Park. It was just, I just always really enjoyed playing against them because you knew what you were getting. You were getting an absolute in your face. I'm going to take you on. I'm going to beat you today. Mm. It's, you know, winner takes all here. Like it's, there was very, you know, the majority of the time there's very little tactics involved. It was man v man and it was win your own ball. I looked mm. actually a few weeks ago at the 2009 All-Ireland and like, oh my God, the amount of high catch and just like the physicality of it, it was unbelievable. Do you know, I mean, it's still for me, I mean, as great as Limerick are and as great as the numerous matches we see so often are, like it's still the rivalry, your great Tipperary team, that great Kilkenny team and those matches are still the ones that, you know, you kind of yearn for a little bit. And, and what was so great about the rivalry was it couldn't have been more physical and more full on but it was never like petty, you know, there was no, I mean, I'm sure there was, but it, it wasn't defined by, I, I felt looking on, uh, you know, ba- a bad tempered kind of affair and a niggly affair. There felt like there was a certain kind of honesty to it that like, okay, you're at our level, we're at your level, let's go full bore here and let's see what happens. And 
that, you know, so, so absorbing as a, as a result, none of the kind of nonsense or the needle that there probably should have been when you have two teams that are meeting that often at that level. Yeah. I, th- I think there was a, an unspoken respect, you know, there that was kind of underlying. They obviously had the upper hand on us when you look at the, the, um, the game, the amount of games we played and wins and losses, etc. But I, I, I do your point there of, I think they acknowledged that we were the only team at that stage that were, you know, they felt maybe threatened by that. Yeah. These lads could beat as if they're under, under game kind of, um, and in terms of the physicality, very little like, you know, mountain or anything like that on the pitch. It was very much like you did your talking with your act- actions. Um, Which is magic, I'd say, like to be involved yeah, in yeah. something that absorbing and that full on. Yeah. Now there was the odd look. I was guilty of it myself. There was the odd shout or comment past, you know, when your emotions get the better of you. But in the main, 95% of the time, there wasn't a word spoken. It was very much based on, you know, the game. And it was always very fair, like a, you know, you'd count on one hand, I'd say, the amount of red cards that were dished out in all of the games between Tip and um, Kilkenny. As you said, it was it was it was raw, but it was never over the edge physical. It was it was always really honest. Like and Yeah, it was never cheap or nasty or like no, full of late hits and full of scuffles, no, you know, which no. is amazing because you know, I'm sure, geez, I'd say you were pumped up. I can only imagine for those games, even the three, four, five days before them when you know what you're going into. Uh, yeah, like training was different when you were coming up. Like when you're getting ready to play any, I remember training used to change for us, you know, in terms of like you knew you were going to get a lot more high ball as a defender. Um, you know, teams were starting to try and play the play the ball through the lines at that stage, 9, 10, 11. It was kind of coming into the game. But Kilkenny, you know, weren't doing it. And we weren't really doing it. We were kind of doing it. Um, but then when it was like, right, we're playing Kilkenny, practicing or training wise it was like right full back line you're going to get more high balls than you ever got you know throughout the season now in this game so drills were like high ball down between two men lads in on the breaking ball rocks it was just like all the stuff that's the nitty gritty and the <laughs> probably less enjoyable training side of things oh, it sounds miserable actually it sounds yeah, miserable it oh. yeah but but you knew you were preparing for something really you know special like when yeah. I just loved those games they were yeah who who did you tend to mark more more often than not? I had I I suppose in the early days I had a mixture of I had Eddie Brennan, um, TJ a bit, um, at Shefflin twice maybe I think at all, thankfully. Um, yeah, the mix of lads because they moved around quite a lot. Yeah. They were actually really good at being really tactical without anyone noticing. So. They would change positions, you know, they bring Eddie Brennan out to wing forward. That's how I ended up marking him. He's not a wing forward, but they do it just to miss. He'd play almost like a corner forward out in the wing forward position. Um, I, that's why I found it so hard to, to deal with him out there. Um, Richie Power would move around the place. He could be anywhere. Same with Henry. He could be wing forward, full forward, centre forward. They were very adaptable in that sense. It didn't, it didn't matter who was where. You could have Henry corner forward but they'd still be really organized and they'd know where everyone was. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, they were really good at, at adapting. And, and It was always a funny thing, Duke Kilkenny, of tactics. I feel like they misunderstood the word tactics for about 15 years because all the things you listed were happening and they'd acknowledge yeah. it, like extra men here, pulling lads there, you know, everything choreographed in certain ways. And you'd say it to them and they'd be like, 
Oh, but that's not tactics. Yeah. Like that, <laughs> that is tactics. That's precisely what tactics are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah Jeez, right. Those three, that's a holy trinity there. I mean, Brennan, Shefflin and TJ. Nice yeah. to look. Yeah. And so it was either TJ or Richie Hogan a bit then as well in the late, like in the latter years. Um, I remember like 19, we'll say I had TJ. In 16, the final, I had either TJ or Richie. So myself and Ron and Maher basically were given one or the other. So we knew they were going to be centre forward and midfield. So Ron was centre back. I was midfield. So if TJ was midfield, I picked him up and Richie would be centre forward. Ron would have him and we'd swap over. We didn't want to be following. They were kind of interchanging a little bit. So that sometimes that would happen as well. It would be like, right, if TJ is here, have him. If he goes to full, you're staying with variable. If he goes to wing, you're going with him. All of this kind of stuff, you know, you'd have that kind of planned out before a game. So, um, yeah, it used to change quite a bit. Without asking you which of them was the toughest, because I think that's kind of a cheap, unfair question. What were the challenges of marking those guys, for instance? I'm sure they had different attributes. Yeah, so Eddie Eddie Brennan was movement, as in he would find himself in positions that you just wouldn't, as a defender, you wouldn't be thinking of, this is could potentially where the ball is going to go. So, especially as a wing back, wing back, like back in those days, um, you were just thinking about puck outs, high ball, you know, like bread and butter. Yeah, the bread and butter stuff. Stop the ball through the lines, either catch it or bat it down for a midfielder. Um, and then when ball would go over your head, it was like turn and get back to towards the full back line as quickly as possible because Kikini were really good at delivering a long ball in and you'd likes of, you know, whether Richie Power or somebody in under it. And you'd have Taggy forward, Yedibrin, and all of those lads, like basically like ready to pounce around them or would break. So as a defender, you were just trying to get goal side of them. But Eddie Brennan would stand behind you, you know, for a puck out. And like he was like, No, I'm not interested in this. And then he'd just be gone across the field and be like, What do I do? Do you know? Um, do I follow him and leave all this space or do I stay here? Then he pops up with the ball and puts it over the bear. He was just moving like Nightmare. Not tactics, by the way. Not tactics. No, not just, tactics. Just, just no, good no. solid hurling, yeah. Reading the, reading the game. I think yeah, exactly. Um, uh, TJ, obviously, just high ball. He's so strong under a high ball. Mm-hmm. So, he's on ball, like one of the best ever, I think. Um, so, I used to, I'd never attempt to catch a ball over TJ Reid. My tactic was always get, get to his catch inside. So, his right hand and just try and touch the ball down and have, I'd be telling the lads, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to try and catch one over him because, no. you know. Uh, so Jeez, That's amazing because like, not like you couldn't catch a ball. So it wouldn't even No, but you have to, like you have to kind of play, sometimes you have to play the percentages when you know you're coming up against somebody who's better than you at catching high ball. You know, I would fancy myself against I, anyone better than TJ. <laughs> like that was nearly the way it was. Uh, there was certain lads though you just, you needed to know. So TJ had the strength to hold you off and he could just catch it either side. Um, so most of the time I would I would just try and get it to ground and have one of the lads kind of told, look, I'm just going to get to ground here and try and break it onto yourself or, you know, get somebody like a Mikey Breen or a Norma Brayer around you to, to pick it up. Um, and then the, the couple of times I marked Henry, I mean, it was, you were just like, at that stage I was in awe, kind of going, oh no, I'm marking Henry Shefflin. What do I do here? Um and he just looked, I mean, he had it all, didn't he? Like he was, but the one thing I would say about Henry was that he mightn't be involved as much as TJ or, or maybe even Eddie, but he, he was always involved in other ways. So he was always like communicating to lads and 
Connor, and then he'd come up with the big moment where he'd win a free when the chips were down and they needed it, or he'd make a pass when they needed it, or he'd just get that score when it was needed. He was for me, that was his biggest trait, was call it resilience or whatever it is, but he was he was able to produce the goods when they were under pressure, you know, right. when they needed it. Um so you could be happy you could be doing okay for 15 minutes. Yeah, you think like this is grand, and next thing he'll do something that just has such an impact on the game, then that you're like, God, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mar- I marked him well for 67 minutes and he's after scoring two four. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he's actually listen, like, I mean, you could go through so many of them, the Kilkenny lads, like, and like you could just have so much positive to say they were a brilliant team. Yeah. Uh, in, in, I mean, sorry, I sound like I'm talking about ancient history here. Like at that stage, would you go into their dressing room or they into your dressing room at full time in an All-Ireland final for a high five and a beer or was it pretty separate? You meet, you saw the only, that was the only time you'd meet after a game was in All-Ireland um, and the seven All-Irelands I played in was against Kilkenny. So uh, the Players' Lounge in Coe Park. Players' Lounge. Okay. Dressing room's kind of off limits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I mean, Brian Cody would be in, and whoever our manager was, whether it was Liam or Mick Ryan or Ian Moshe, whoever was manager at the time, they'd go in. Um, what did Cody? What did Cody tend to say? Very, very much like in line with what he would say in an interview. There was never he'd never give away anything or say anything that you know, because obviously, when you're doing that type of thing, you are you do kind of have one eye on the next time we meet. Yeah. Don't even be saying, geez, lads, you're the team we fear the most. You're the best. Well, well, maybe he might say that, but that would be tactical again. <laughs> yeah, you're great. You're great. You're brilliant. Yeah, you know I mean? You're going to so, do three in a row. Um, that, look, there was no, yeah, but, but there was, I would say, always really respectful and um, always spoke, you know, like the man he is, he spoke from the heart always. And, yeah. um, and it was always, you know, there was always huge respect. Like when any manager would come into the dressing room, it's dead silence and, there is, I, I think there is a great respect between players and managers and that that hatred that people talk about, it's maybe a bit materialistic. Like it's 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 the concept of it rather than pure hatred of a person. Do you know what I mean? It's, yes, yes. I'm sure I'm sure if a manager comes in and speaks to you, he always got a round of applause afterwards. And a, yeah, absolutely. A look. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got amazing days to be involved in. Are you missing it? Will you miss it? Do you have plans to fill the void somehow? Um, I, I've plenty to fill the void. Um, so I'm quite busy at work. We've a couple of businesses that I have together with my my fiance getting married in eight weeks' time. Uh, Pressure in that speech too. Oh man, yeah. Uh, so yeah, slight panic at the moment now, trying to get everything ready. But uh, looking forward to that. So yeah, plenty to keep me busy. To be honest, though, like I and obviously training with Boris, really enjoying that new management team in this year. So a bit of a freshness around and. Um, a nice buzz about that so and we've great facilities and a good group of players lots of fun and having the crack training and that so yeah still have a dressing room exactly so I, I, I'm not fully gone from the environment you know what I mean um, would miss you'd miss the you'd miss that side of it um, from a temporary point of view of being in the dressing room and having the crack with the lads and, and that kind of interaction that you'd have three times a week four times a week Um so you do you would miss that, but in terms of you know, do I look at matches there now? Last Sunday, going God, I wish it was there. No, I don't. Um, and if I did, like it would have been the wrong decision to retire. For me, you're retiring content that like you're never going to do this again. And I would have thought that out and very much clear on 
this is the consequence of making this decision. Just one last one, because I do remember you were in speaking in studio before we had a chat. Maybe uh, it's probably it's it's hard with COVID to remember. I feel like it was 2019 territory and we were chatting a good bit about your career then. And I remember you were saying that you'd worked with kids with autism because you were a mm. school teacher and you'd moved into an ASD unit. That's and right. Yeah. I don't know. Are you still doing that or have you moved full time into PR now or other businesses or are you still yeah, so having man in teaching? No, so I, I so I, I took a career break from teaching in 2017. So at the time we spoke then, I was still doing part-time. I was subbing because I was actually, I was setting up a gym here in Bursley. Um, so I had that running, up and running, still running, um, thankfully. And hmm. the last, um, so about a year and a half, or coming up on two years now, I job, rejoined Tineo in a full-time capacity. Um, so working in their performance consulting division. So a little bit, it's different to the PR stuff. So um, we do a lot now on leadership development, individual and team performance, um, culture change, culture transformation within organizations. And then we do a lot of strategy and org design work as well. I'm in the individual performance and team performance stuff predominantly. I do support on projects and strategy and org design, but um, I love the performance and leadership stuff. I've a good bit of study done this continuing to study um, I like the the kind of coaching space and maybe that's the teacher in me um, so I'm, I'm looking to kind of further that and and build up a bit more experience um, and I have a, an online like my partner Aoife has an online platform called the Pilates program so she's a physiotherapist working full-time as well um, but COVID brought about an opportunity to go online with, with the Pilates so we set that up we launched it on the 1st of January 2021 mm. uh, so i help out and do a lot of the uh, in the background there as a brilliant joe's amazing talking to so many sports people at the moment who are setting up their own businesses and their own ventures and there's an entrepreneurial spirit there because with the teaching i distinctly remember you saying you didn't go into teaching just because it would be compatible with your inter-county career you're like you were a rarity who were like no you were like one of the few who was coming and saying no no i actually like i like teaching and mm. I remember you saying of the ASD unit at the time that it had very much changed your outlook in life and had been incredibly rewarding. And, you, you know, you, you were explaining how autism is an umbrella term and there's there's so many different uh, strands that come under that term. And you used a great example. I think you were quoting somebody else, but you were saying, you know, for, for so many kids of a certain age, it's in their inability to read cues. It's as if they arrive on Mars and they meet yeah. an alien and they don't know if the alien's going to hug them or hit them. And that can be the terrifying prospect that is their world. And that line always stayed with me, I have to say. I was going to say it like that's a good few years ago now and they still have a bitch. Yeah, fair place. Um, but yeah, that is, it did change my perspective on a lot of things. And in a weird way, actually sent me forward into kind of chasing after other things myself. Um, so that entrepreneur in me, I think it's been instilled in me from my parents. They're, we have a haulage. Haulage, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, when I talk about kind of leaving teaching and my father would often mention like, God, oh, you left the, the secure pension <laughs> yeah. doing all of these different things now. And I was like, I'm blaming you. Like you instilled this in me from a young age, the, the kind of entrepreneurial side. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, what I did in teaching, you know, found really rewarding um, definitely changed my outlook on things. And I think that that part of me that really likes helping others, I've, I've just brought into different avenues. So with the gym, it's, you know, for me, I'm passionate about health and well-being. 
and kind of helping others to try and enhance their own mm. health and well-being and what kind of performance. So that's why I just had such an interest in, you know, human performance, human behavior, why we are the way we are and how we react to different things. And obviously my experience in the ASD unit would have actually fueled that kind of sense of, I want to learn more about, you know, human behavior and psychology and why we behave in certain ways. So that's what I'm trying to do now. I'm, I'm trying to just enhance people's well-being and overall, you know, individual performance. And 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 there's a, I get a great sense of satisfaction out of it, knowing that you can impact somebody and help them maybe figure out something about themselves or change something in their lives that could be life-changing. That's that's what really gets it gets me up in the morning. Yeah, I'm sure there's a buzz. Well, the very best of luck with it. And congratulations on an amazing career. I mean, 13 years, three All-Irelands and Young Hurler of the Year and plenty more besides five Munster medals. So congrats and best of luck with the future. Brendan Maher, thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks very much, Joe.